Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So what are we talking about today? We're going to talk about a density-based clustering algorithm called dbscan. dbscan. Okay. That sounds uh, opaque. It sounds like a database function, yeah, if you ask DB me. Yeah, dbscan but... sounds... Uh, well, anyway, we're about to figure out what it actually is. You are listening to Linear Digressions. Okay, so to set the stage before we talk about what it is, can you kind of paint the picture of a problem that you might run into where this might come in handy? Yeah, so clustering in general is what we call an unsupervised machine learning technique. And what this means is that we don't have correct answers that we can use to train the algorithm. Uh, it's more like we're interested in looking for interesting substructure in the data or doing some kind of exploratory analysis. And in particular, the idea of clustering is that there's distinct subgroups within our data set that we are interested in finding. Um, and so clustering algorithms are designed to find those subgroups. And different kinds of clustering algorithms are good for finding different kinds of subgroups, if that makes sense. We'll unpack that a little bit in this episode. But that's the general idea, is trying to understand what the structure of your data is without having any labels that you can use to help guide the algorithm. Interesting. Yeah, it seems like supervised and unsupervised are kind of the two ways of attacking a problem. One is I know what I'm looking to do with the data, and one might be more like, I don't exactly know what I want to do with the data yet, but you know, maybe I'll just throw an algorithm at, that, at this and see what comes out. Yeah, and I think they're treated as equivalent in that sense. Like one of them you have labels, one of them you don't, and they're just different. And in some senses, I guess that's true. But I think that unsupervised learning is just really, really hard in a way that supervised mm. learning, the fact that you have some some ground truth that you can push off against, you know, assuming that you trust your labels is a huge mm. advantage and it totally changes the way that you think about the problem. Um, but with unsupervised learning, there is no source of ground truth. So even if you come up with an answer that looks really good, uh, it can still be kind of hard to to convince yourself that it's the right answer. There is no such thing as the right answer. Mm -hmm. And relatedly, it's really hard to find metrics in unsupervised learning that uh, that I find trustworthy anyway. So there are definitely a lot of metrics for what do you call a good clustering, um, where it's trying to come up with something that is analogous to like what is a good model for prediction. But in the same way that metrics for supervised learning can all have their pathologies and their weaknesses, in unsupervised learning, I think that's even more true. So every metric that I've ever encountered for something like clustering you can come up with some kind of pathological case in which it would give you an answer that totally doesn't make sense. We can talk about an example or two here in this in this also, but the main point is that it's not a thing that lends itself well to automating in the same way that supervised learning does, where you can just use the metrics to help guide you through knowing what a good model is. Um, I think in unsupervised learning, you really have to engage your brain a lot more, which is... Which is unfortunate if you're lazy like me. <laughs> I think all humans on some level are lazy. Um, so then how do you kind of start thinking about this problem of what algorithm to use? And when might you come to the algorithm we're talking about today, which is dbscan? 
Yeah. So I think that the first hurdle to get over with clustering, at least for me, is knowing if there even are subgroups within your data. Sometimes mm. your data is just kind of all smeared together. There aren't well-defined, well-separated clusters. And maybe in some cases that's sort of okay. Uh, but in other cases, there's usually kind of the assumption that the clusters are the people who are in clusters together, or I guess I shouldn't say people, I, I work with people data, data a lot, mm. so I think about it that way. But, you know, the examples that are in clusters together are similar and that they're different from cluster to cluster. And, you know, sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's kind of not. And so just knowing whether you have clusters in the way that you maybe expect or hope can be pretty challenging. Okay, so then what do you do about that? I think the best thing you can do for my money is come up with a good visualization scheme. This is challenging too because very often you have high dimensional data that you're trying to cluster with and it's hard to visualize. Uh, there's another episode that we did on an algorithm called TSNE and this is yeah. one of the good ones. I've heard about a new one in the last few weeks and I am blanking on the name of it right now, but I'm hoping to read up on it sometime soon and, and see what that has in store. But there's some dimensionality reduction techniques that are speci specifically designed for clustering so that you can keep the clusters when you reduce the dimensionality. And so using one of those schemes to visualize things and looking at the, at the results that you ba get back and trying to tell if there even are clusters and, and moreover, once you've performed a clustering, if the things that you're identifying with your eyes as the clusters are actually getting picked up by your clustering algorithm, that's the second thing. Hmm. Okay, so if you're searching, if you're searching through a data set for uh, clusters of things, like what I have in my head is I, I'm imagining like a two-dimensional graph, and you've got these clusters of points. And of course, this might be multi-dimensional, uh, more than two dimensions or, or whatnot, but um, whatever your dimensionality, your points are clustering in some way. And, and that probably has some sort of a shape to it. And you might have kind of blob clustering and you might have maybe longer blob and thinner blob clustering or something like that. Like you might have different shapes. Do the shapes that you want to detect in your data, um, like do different algorithms do better with different shapes? Yeah, totally. So here's the sort of two mental models. That's exactly the right question to, to ask. And that's what I love about dbscan. So here's your first mental model. Let's imagine that your clusters are kind of like galaxies that are floating around in space, right? Mm -hmm. So there's big distances between them. Uh, they're pretty dense. And most galaxies are either disk galaxies or ellipsoidal galaxies. And um, so the idea is that the galaxies themselves don't have a lot of interesting shape to them sort of like you said they're just big blobs and that's a case in which k-means tends to do really well k-means is one of the standard off-the-shelf algorithms uh, we, we won't go all the way into it right now but if you're familiar like that might make sense to you that if your blobs are kind of like you know circles or circular-ish k-means is going to do really well for you but uh, very often you'll visualize your data and then you'll see that the clusters that you have, sometimes they have shapes to them and they have sort of substructure. And that's a case in which dbscan does really well. So dbscan, talk about this now, it's a density-based clustering algor algorithm. 
So k-means is more based on, for a given point, how far is it to the center of that cluster. And if mm -hmm. it's close by, then it gets grouped in with it. But what dbscan does is it looks for regions of points that are high density. And we can come back to that in a moment, what that means. But once it finds a high density area, it associates all the points in that area with the cluster. And then it recursively goes to each of those points and says, okay, if we had another neighborhood that was centered at this point, is that at the middle of a high density region? And so it kind of grows out. Oh, interesting. In a way that follows the structure it's, of, the, of the cluster, yeah. So, so it's almost like if you drop someone in the middle of a neighborhood and that person does like a circular search from, from where they are, and then once they stop seeing things in their little circular radial search, then they stop searching and they've found the little sphere. But if your city was like extremely long and skinny, like Manhattan or something like that, you might just find this little sphere in the center. But DB scan, you um, kind of travel to these different points and then you perform a similar search from that point. And so in that way, you can kind of grow to, to uh, fill out whatever the shape of the data happens to be. Yeah, so I think if you wanted to do something like imagine that the data set that you had looked like a uh, a map of the earth right and so the continents have this each of them has like weird shapes to them and in particular maybe you're interested in doing something like defining your clustering algorithm such that north and south america end up being clustered together because there's sort of a land a, you know a small land bridge that connects them i guess the panama canal is there but imagine you can like hop over the panama canal it's not that big of a deal <laughs> So maybe you would start your clustering somewhere in North America and it mm -hmm. would gobble up all the land until it reached the top of, of Canada and maybe potentially depending on the parameters that you set, it might hop over to Greenland or maybe even potentially across the Bering Strait to Russia, but we'll get back to that later. Um, but then it could also grow down and through Mexico and Central America and then get into South America. And that's not something that you could do with k-means because South America is really far away from the centroid of North America. And you probably wouldn't, under most circumstances, be able to get k-means that, um, that incorporates both of them. But dbscan, it sort of follows the contours of the cluster um, and is able to pick it up. So you also mentioned something uh, like detecting things like substructure. What what does that mean, substructure? Well, so dbscan tends to do best in situations in which you have sort of equal density clusters. So it's not going to do particularly well if you imagine that there's two clusters that you have and one of them is very, very dense and the other one is still dense but somewhat less dense. Mm, I see. Yeah, and so you can imagine that there's variations in the density that you have even within a cluster itself. Um, and so dbscan, I don't know that it's going to do really great for you in those situations, but this does remind me of another feature of dbscan relative to something like k-means. So something that k-means will try to do, uh, that k-means will do, is it will associate every single point in your data set with a cluster. And sometimes that's really great because you do actually want to know a cluster label for every point. But if you have a data set that has outliers in it, it's a little different than substructure, but I think of it as not totally unrelated. If you have outliers, 
then k-means will bend over backwards to try to loop them in with something so in particular Mm. maybe it would do something like group hawaii in with north america and hawaii is pretty far away from north america and if you try to have a a cluster that incorporates both of them then you could imagine that the centroid of that cluster being pulled out pretty far in the western part of the united states in order to be close enough to hawaii and 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 so on when Mm. really Mm -hmm. you would just say like hawaii is an outlier and it probably shouldn't be associated with any of the continents really because it's so gosh (laughs) i mean (laughs) we probably have listeners in hawaii probably but i say this with all love in the world i am actually very jealous of them right now sitting here in chicago and and freezing um (laughs) but i think we can all acknowledge that hawaii is not particularly close to north america that's true yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so anyway uh in the dv scan case it would probably put hawaii as its own outlier so that's one of the things that's kind of interesting about db scan is there's sometimes points that don't get associated with any clusters at all and mm. that's very different than k-means so one thing that you mentioned earlier was uh like how you might define density or a neighborhood yeah so these are the main parameters of db scan um and so db scan has two important parameters that you should know about one is the idea of what's called an epsilon neighborhood and so an epsilon neighborhood, epsilon is a distance, and an epsilon neighborhood is if you were to sit here and draw a radius around yourself of circle epsilon, that defines the neighborhood around a given point. And then the question for DB scan, then the second parameter is called the number of points or min points. And the way that that plays into the algorithm is it says an area is dense if there are at least endpoints that fall within an epsilon neighborhood of a given point. And sometimes there's also some refinements that you can place on this, like there's a higher density for the core of the clustering algorithm, and then maybe there's lighter density that you would allow around the the periphery and, and things like that. But the general idea is that you define an area and then a number of points, and then between the two of those, you have a density. And so then when the algorithm is growing out and trying to find more dense regions along the periphery of the dense regions that it's already found, that's the way it does it, is by defining epsilon neighborhoods and then looking for how many points are in those neighborhoods. And that's the process by which it kind of recursively does that search. Yeah. And then at the end of that, you have hopefully all of your large land masses have been clustered together, regardless of what their shapes were. Um, and if you've tuned your epsilon and min number of points correctly, then you have effectively some discretion over, for example, whether North and South America get clustered together or not. Just depending on how you define density, you can mm, have it right. you know, get down through Central America or not. And then you'll have your outlier points as well, potentially. Um, and by looking at a picture of that data after you've clustered it, and maybe you have sort of like a scatter plot that you've made with a TSNI algorithm, for example, and you colored all the points according to their cluster labels, you can start to look at those sorts of visualizations and have some confidence that, that there is structure in the data and if your clustering algorithm has found it. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. 
And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at lineardigressions.com and katie at lineardigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at lindigressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.